And so my coach, he didn't even tell me what the weight selection was for my last deadlift. He just looked at me and said, you have to pull this in order to win. And so I didn't look at the weight. I knew what the moment was. What fuels a multi-passionate life? I'm Jessica Wan, and in this podcast, I interview people who straddle two completely different worlds. I call them ampersands, and we are collectively designing the Ampersand Manifesto. I'm delighted to be speaking with Newton Chang. Newton is a husband and father to two amazing daughters via adoption. He's a world champion powerlifter who holds multiple world records. He is also director of health and performance at Google, where he spent 14 years developing, launching, and scaling global programs aimed at helping Googlers to thrive. He takes a special interest in the intersections of human performance and spirituality, and is an advocate for speaking vulnerably about mental health. Newton earned a Bachelor's in Electrical Engineering from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and an MBA from UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business. Newton, welcome to the show. Jessica, I'm very excited to be here. When you think of yourself as a kid, what did you imagine life as an adult to look like? Is it anything like the life you're living today? Oh, it looked like discipline and toil. So I would watch my parents and they were both small town doctors. Uh, They ran their own medical practice in a town called Macomb, Illinois, which is a wonderful small town to grow up in. But as one example, my dad, he would work weekends. And so when I got my first internship during college, I didn't actually know you got weekends off. And I asked HR, what do we do on Saturdays? And they said, you stay home. (laughs) And I had no idea because my dad put in hours every weekend. And my mom, she was part-time, but that's because she was raising four kids. And so I, it just looked like you get a job, you get financial security, and then you grind. And that's what I thought it meant to be an adult. And so we didn't talk about passion. It wasn't even on the table. It wasn't part of the equation. So I wasn't super excited about being an adult. When did you come to the realization that there was more to life than discipline and toil? When I first moved to California after I graduated from University of Illinois, I got my bachelor's in electrical engineering. And the way I decided to come to California was that I applied for a few jobs. My options were outside of Madison, Wisconsin, Austin, Texas, and Northern California. And I chose purely based on location and said, California sounds fun. Let's, let's go there. I, I looked at pictures. I'm like, they have palm trees. Let's go. It, it, looks, it looks wonderful. And I somehow got a role where I didn't actually really know what that part of the electrical engineering field was, but I did the interview well enough that I got the job. So that brought me to California. And, you know, like I was saying, I didn't know what you did on Saturdays because I thought you worked. And so suddenly I'm sitting there going, 
what do you do with this free time? And I realized, oh, well, I'm a grown-up. I have money now. I can go do anything. And so one of the first things I did was that a friend of mine, this was around the time that the movie Swingers was out, which is has a few scenes around swing dancing that people were, were really impressed by. And so there was a, a swing dance craze for a while. And so he really wanted to go do swing dancing. We started searching online for classes. And I found a breakdancing class. And that was a childhood dream of mine was to become a breakdancer. So I told him, I'm sorry, you're going to go to swing dance alone if you want to do swing dancing. I'm going to breakdancing. And I fell in love with breakdancing. And I did that for many, many years. But it also, it opened up this possibility of, wait, I can do anything I want. Like anything. Because all these activities, they weren't available in Macomb, Illinois. So there's both an availability thing and then also, uh, you know, well, you're supposed to be toiling. So why would you be doing all these activities? But the world just suddenly opened up for me. So even back then, you were an ampersand, a breakdancer. And I know you taught breakdancing while you worked as an engineer. What was it like having that ampersand life? Actually, I don't think I, I... told you this earlier, I had a triple ampersand life. I was an engineer. I was a personal trainer in the mornings before my engineering job. And then nights I would practice breakdancing or teach breakdance classes because I think I was trying to catch up on, you know, breaking out of this sense of toil and realizing like there's so much to explore and live. And I knew I had this interest in health and fitness. So I wanted to explore that. And then I had my day job as an engineer. And then I had breakdancing, which I was falling more and more in love with. And back then, I was really bad about time management. I was really bad about managing my sleep. And so I, I just grinded for two years saying, I'm going to make it all work. I'm going out dancing on the weekends with my friends. I'm going to show up all the moves I learned breakdancing. And I, and I did all through San Francisco. And it was wonderful. And then I would get a cold every two weeks because my body just couldn't take it. Um, eventually, what happened was I really started to burn out. And I thought, I need to find a way to consolidate these activities. And I knew my interest in my engineering career was waning. It was really great intellectual challenges. And I had this really great work community around me, but it was just the, the style of the work felt isolated to me. But I found really fulfilled via this work in health and fitness. And I saw these emerging opportunities in the corporate space where companies wanted their employees to be happier and healthier and employees want a better quality of life. And so no one had to do things like sell memberships or sell personal training sessions. You had companies bringing these programs into their workplaces. And I said, that's a movement I want to be part of. And that's what I want to help build. So that's when I applied to business school. I left engineering. I got into uh, UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business. And I went to get my MBA and I focused as much of my project work as I could looking at the health and fitness industry and specifically corporate health and well-being programs and how those work. You successfully pivoted this career from electrical engineering to corporate health and wellness through the MBA. Pivots of that kind are really hard. How do you think your athlete mentality helped you accomplish that pivot? 
I think there's two two things. One is there was a ability to stick to it and grind even when you're not making progress. For example, with breakdancing, when I got to learn to spin on my head, eventually you get the mechanics of it. But what you find out is like, and then just keep trying over and over and over, even though it hurts really bad, you're going to keep falling, you're going to hurt your neck. At some point, when I started to get it and actually started to get some revolutions of head spin, then your your scalp isn't conditioned. So I would rub my scalp like raw. Like one day I, I reached up there. I'm like, why is my scalp wet? And it was bleeding. But this is the path. This was the way. You're like the once you get the mechanics of it, it's like now work through all the pain and the hardship. And at the other end of it, you can fly, you can spin on your head, and it is one of the most magical feelings I've I've ever had. But it was that same mentality of when I was going through the job search, there just didn't seem to be that much that aligned exactly with what I wanted while all my friends were landing these plum jobs that were at the you know, the really impressive companies. And I said, I just need to look harder. I need to keep going. I need to grind. I think that's one thing. That's part of the athlete mentality. The part that was not the athlete mentality that I think I integrate into my approach to athletics now is really the Haas community, where I had my weak moments, where I started to pursue careers in like the broader field of human resources thinking like, okay, well, if I start there, maybe I can transition into health and well-being later on because there's just more of these opportunities. And at some point, my, my classmates, they made it really clear that they were inspired by what I was trying to pursue in the field of health and well-being. And they were cheering me on and kind of keeping me accountable. Like, hey, we really don't want to see you put your dream aside. Keep going. And so... There was the internal voice of keep going, spin on your head till it bleeds. And then the external voices of all the amazing hospital people around me saying, keep going, you can do it. Mm. A chorus of community not letting you settle. Yes. That's wonderful. Yes. When you and I first met, we joked about another way of looking at ampersands as being perhaps people who have taken things too far. These pursuits that we have are way more than mere hobbies. When did you realize that you might take powerlifting really far? I started powerlifting in 2013. And we adopted my first daughter in 2017. It was around that time when I just kept at it. I'd been getting stronger and stronger. I tried my first competition and it turned out I just loved the feeling of that competition. Having having that event to focus all your efforts and then it, it kind of felt like a dance performance. You get to get up on a stage and display all your hard work. Some people they crumble, some they rise. And for me, it was, it was, you know, another feeling of soaring. It was like hitting a great head spin in front of a crowd. And so around that time when my daughter was going to be born, I was debating like, okay, is this going to be what makes me have to retire from the sport? Cause I don't know if I can fit this. And another dad friend of mine said, this is not going to be a problem for you. You have always prioritized this activity. Other things are going to fall off your plate. 
and you're probably going to hold on to this tighter. And he was totally right. You know, the the Netflix disappeared, the whatever else I was doing, like, you know, going out to happy hours, um, that all had to disappear. But I held on that much tighter. Now, around that same time, what I found was I started to be in reach of first the California state records for my age and weight class. And then I saw what the national champion was at, like what he had done at the national championship the year before. And I wasn't that far away. And so I saw if I have the meat of my life, I think I can beat him. And so in 2018, I qualified for nationals. I got to nationals. And there, there's three events in powerlifting. There's squat, there's bent press, and deadlift. You do them in that order. Squats, we were close to the same strength. So we came out of that neck and neck. Bench press, he was far, far stronger than me. And so he, he definitely pulled ahead there. The last event, deadlift is my specialty. And he would have to basically do his best deadlift ever to keep me out of the race. And he did. On his last deadlift, he pulled like his best deadlift ever. And so my coach, he didn't even tell me what the weight selection was for my last deadlift. He just looked at me and said, you have to pull this in order to win. And so I didn't look at the weight. I knew how to execute. I knew what the moment was. And I had been on, you know, dozens of dance stages before, you know, dozens of stages doing public speaking. This was no different. Like this was the moment to show up and show all your hard work. And so I executed, I pulled the deadlift. And then when I got off the platform and looked at the number, I realized I had lifted 40 pounds more than I had ever lifted in my life. It showed me what was possible when you don't do things like look at a number and say, that's my limit. You just never know. And then the second was, I was now a champion. I was national champion. And your identity changes like right then and there. No one can ever take that from you. Let's pause here for a moment to reflect on this question. Where do you have an opportunity to show up and show off your hard work? Outside of hosting this podcast, I partner with leaders in the workplace as they rise up. Perhaps you've gotten a promotion, landed a new role, or taken on a lot more responsibility, and you need a trusted sounding board to support you as you support your team. I coach individuals and leadership teams to rise to the challenge with my ampersand blend of analytical and creative. If any of this intrigues you, reach out to me at jessicawan.com. Now, back to the show. Over the last year, you've done dozens of presentations and interviews around your struggles with mental health and burnout, and offered your point of view on what needs to change in terms of our shared culture of work in order for more people to take care of themselves and each other. How have you personally grown in this process? Two ways. I think there's the growth before I started sharing, the growth after I started sharing. When I went on mental health leave, I had this mental model that I I have three roles in my life, three major roles. There's husband and father, there's competitive athlete, and there's leader at Google. 
I had told myself that all of these had to be in balance. And what happened was, honestly, part of the reason I went on leave was I was too often choosing the leader role over the family man role. And it was out of integrity with my values. That led to just daily feelings of shame and guilt on how I was showing up as a husband and father. And that led to depression, anxiety, and burnout. And so I went on leave because honestly, I, it was an act of desperation. I knew I had to do what was right for my family, and I didn't know what else to do other than to step away. While away, I did a lot of work on myself to ask, what is driving you to choose work? And then when you have free time, to go in the garage and lift weights. And then with whatever energy you have left, to be there with your, your wife and your family, which was sometimes it was just scraps of energy left. And it, I had to look at a lot of hard stuff of how I was raised, how I was socialized, like the, the grinding mentality. I had to process, I think there was a lot more childhood trauma and bullying than I was acknowledging. And that led to an achievement orientation, not just out of a fear of scarcity, but out of not feeling enough. I wasn't enough unless I got the next achievement. And like one, one moment that was kind of a red flag for me was when I won a bronze medal at the first world championships that I went to in 2019. I remember standing on the podium and feeling awesome, getting the medal, seeing the American flag, you know, wearing the America, uh, the USA tracksuit up there. And then I got off the platform and my, my mind went numb. Like my heart went numb. And I said, what's next? And then I said, really? That's, that's what your soul just said? What's next? You, you don't want to savor this a little more? And I said, no. That worried me. So that was before the leave. After the leave, knowing how many other people were struggling just like me, when an opportunity came up, I said, I'm going to share my story. And so I did a podcast on men's mental health where I just, it was, it was very long form and I just shared as openly as I could. And then I said, okay, well, if that's going to be out there, I'm going to go big or go home. So I posted it first on Instagram and Facebook and got a huge response. But then I thought, but you want to drive change in the workplace. Shouldn't you post this on LinkedIn? That felt really scary. But with some support from friends, I did it. And it got roughly 20 times the engagement of a normal post I would do on LinkedIn. And so it became clear, like there was this huge, huge pull for this story. What does this idea of balance look like to you now? Oh, I've thrown that word out. <laughs> Balance, it, it, uh, I think the mental model of it, it makes it look like it's very mechanical. Like you, it's like a seesaw. And if you strike it just right, you can do all things and you can get a result you want. 
I like to use the analogy of the mechanic versus the gardener. If my life is a mechanical device, I can de-embed the pieces. I know how they work together and how they don't work together and how they affect one another. And I can optimize any one piece, put it back together, and then the whole system works. That is not my life. Uh, I don't know anyone who lives a full life. Uh, I don't think it works that way for anyone. With the gardener, what you can do is plant all the wonderful plants you want, and then try to do the right things you can to make sure those plants thrive. And they're going to grow or not grow on their own pace. And so the, the phrase I really like that I, I read from an author, Carol Sanford, who is an expert on regenerative systems, she says, let go, let come. And so what I do now is I really think about what are the most important roles in my life? Husband and father, competitive athlete, leader. If I try to do as many good things as I can to nurture each of those, and then I just let it come, good things have been happening. Over time, the championships happen. Over time, progress at work happens. Over time, I become a more loving husband and a more loving father. But it's all going to happen on its own watch. What other advice do you have for people who are pursuing or thinking of pursuing an ampersand life? We had talked about like taking things too far down the road. And I, I was thinking about why do I keep holding on to these passions when, you know, there's all the friends I started with and then they move on and I'm still there and I'm like, I'm going to hold on tighter. And then there's friction in life because it does take time and money, but I hold on tighter. I started thinking of my passions more like the way I would think of a marriage where, you know, there was your notion of the relationship when you were dating and it was all, you know, butterflies and romance. And then there was the wedding day and you said, we are committing. And everyone in the generation before you just keeps going, it's a lot of work. Uh, we're here to support you, but it's a lot of work. And then 10 to 15 years down the road, they were right. It was a ton of work. But your love has evolved into something different and magical, not just because it naturally happened, because you held on so tight and you grew it and you made it into something magical. And so that's what something like powerlifting is to me, where it's become almost spiritual and philosophical. And I couldn't care less about breaking another record or winning another championship. I'm probably going to win more championships, but it is an output of my love for the sport and my, my desire to hold on to it and to nurture that relationship. It's not because I'm doggedly pursuing that outcome. So if I think of it that way, pursuing the ampersand life, it's finding ways to nurture more love in your life. Why wouldn't you do that? What is more important than that? And if you find what's more important than that, please tell me, because it sounds like that is a wonderful life. But to me, there is no life more wonderful than the ampersand. What would you add if we are co-creating these principles for leading a multi-passionate life? And we're calling this the ampersand manifesto. What would you add to the manifesto? If I go back to, it's really about building the life you want to live. 
you can think of that in two directions. Some people, you'll immediately jump to like, oh, well, here's all the things I want to do. And from there, I'd ask you to think about like, okay, we're going to start with like things you do. Why? Like you do these things because you feel this or you think this. And if you feel or think these things, who would you be? Like, are you being the person or becoming the person that you want to become via living that life? I could also flip it and say, if you're considering the ampersand life, why? Like, who would you be or who would you need to become in order to live the ampersand life? And this is, this is more my approach as I pursue powerlifting at deeper and deeper levels. Who would you need to become? And if you were to become that person, how would you feel and how would you think about life in the world? And therefore, what would you do? And if you can figure out a way to like have that whole chain go from all the way to the passion that you do, to, that you express all the way to your inner being, you can live a really wonderful life. And it sounds like these are questions that we need to keep asking ourselves as we grow and evolve. Maybe we start with one ampersand and move to another. But the greatest expression of our fullest selves, it seems to be what we're after. Something inside you is perfect and infinite and a gift to the world. Figure out your art form so you can express it and show it to the world. Newton, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your insights. And also some ideas that are coming to you even in this moment today as as we had this conversation. Folks, you can follow Newton on LinkedIn or on Instagram under his name, Newton Chang. We'll link to these in the show notes. If you like this show, hit like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow ampersands. And if you've listened to several interviews now and are enjoying our show, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find our show. I had a chance to listen back on my conversation with Newton. There were so many insightful thoughts that he shared. Here are just a few that stuck with me. One, I was struck by Newton's coming-of-age story in choosing and designing his ampersand life after becoming an adult. This was so different from my own experience of having started music in childhood and growing up as an ampersand. It was fascinating thinking about the power of choice that Newton felt as a self-sufficient adult and the freedom involved in being able to design his life in a way that suited his interests. Two, this idea of holding on tighter is one that I've been coming back to over the past few weeks. I remember when I was in high school, I was so proud of never having quit anything. But inevitably, at some point, I had to quit something. I couldn't just keep adding on activities, otherwise I'd never start anything new. But I think at some point, there's a transition from something you do to something you are. At this point, singing is not something I do. I am a singer. And once that identity shift clearly happens, it's part of you. Three, I love this analogy of a garden because there are so many external factors to what grows. Sun, water, soil, temperature, 
and a gardener can only control to the best of their ability. And for me, it's a constant practice instead of being sucked back into the temptation of living from achievement to achievement, because oh boy, I know how that feels. With this analogy of the gardener, it allows me to focus less on unlearning that achievement orientation and instead keep practicing thinking of this healthier and more realistic analogy of the gardener. To create the life that is your masterpiece, that is the fullest expression of you, you have to pursue those art forms that spark your passions. Like that's how you become the fullest expression of you. And if you don't do that, you're leaving pieces of yourself off of the canvas.